You're listening to Decidedly Dry. I'm your host, Jess Steitzer. This is a sober podcast where we actually focus on the good. Amazing, right? We spark inspiration. We try to provide some hope and we help motivate you. I promise to always keep it real, provide some dry humor, and remind you every single episode why sobriety is truly a superpower. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, just head on over to decidedlydry.com. Thank you so much for pushing play today. Let's get started. Hello world, this is Hunter here. Welcome to the show and thanks for listening to the podcast. Okay, now how much cookies do I get? Do I get two cookies or three cookies? Two. What? Three? Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 10. My guest today is a newish friend of mine. Her name is Catherine Just. Catherine is a fellow creative. She is a super, super talented artist, an inspiring and beautiful mama, both inside and out, and I am so excited for you to hear our chat. Um, Catherine and I are connected through Sober Mom Squad. That is where we met, and we both volunteer our time to be involved with that amazing community. Don't worry. I'll tag their info in the show notes for you. Um, I absolutely loved getting to know Catherine. Even though we both volunteer for this group, I hadn't heard her story. So this interview is so special to me, and I have a feeling you are going to enjoy it just as much as I did. So enjoy episode 10. Well, hello, everybody. This is Jess Wet Decidedly Dry, and I have a wonderful, beautiful guest for you, Catherine Just. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Hi, Jess. I'm great. It's so good to be here. Uh, I'm so excited for our chat today. So for those of you that have not met Catherine, I'm going to let her do her intro. But um, I was just thinking we have never had a one-on-one conversation. So I'm thrilled to get to know you better. Um, We met through Sober Mom Squad. That's how we both know each other. And to get rolling, I'm just going to let you steal the mic and tell listeners a little bit about yourself. So who you are, if you have kids, where you live, all the good stuff. Well, first of all, I'm just excited to be here and really looking forward to talking to you. I love what you're doing in the world, and I'm looking forward to learning more about you as well. Um, so a little about me. I'm, um, where do I even start with that one? Who am I? I'm Catherine. <laughs> I, I, uh, I have a 13-year-old son named Max who has Down syndrome. I'm divorced and single parenting, usually having him on weekends. He'll be dropped off today in a couple hours. And, um, and, I, and I'm an entrepreneur, an artist, mentor, and, um, and I've been sober 34 years. I love it. And you're down in California, right? I'm in, uh, yeah, I'm in Los Angeles. Awesome. Awesome. And how many years did you say 34? 34. I, I, I often say nowadays 34 years of continuous sobriety because the way that people count is different. And so I just wanted to make that clear. (laughs) I love that. I love that. And so we'll just kind of dive right in. Um, what's your history with alcohol? I mean, you've got some years under your belt and you can go as far back as you want, but maybe just kind of talk about when you started and when your relationship kind of started to shift when you decided to get sober. Sure. I, um, I started drinking when I was 13 years old 
And it was basically just to fit in with other people and to deal with my social anxiety and also the anxiety that sort of crept in as a result of being around parents who honestly hadn't dealt with their own trauma from their own childhood. It was just coming out all over the place. So I couldn't manage my own feelings and, and alcohol at 13 just made, I noticed it, that it took the edge off that high piercing, excruciating um, anxiety and, Mm -hmm. and, and a discomfort in my own skin just like being with myself was not comfortable. And, and so it started with that. It was just with a friend of mine and I, I noticed how much better I felt. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. it just went really quickly. I mean, by 16 years old, I um, was dating somebody who was doing crystal meth and, and I had a belief that drugs like that were for those other kinds of people, not me, but I wanted to relate to him more, like understand where he was coming from. So I thought maybe if I did it once, I would just understand him. And what happened was like, I, I, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe the, the level of what seemed like deep connection with people around me for like hours and hours and hours and hours. And that I could have conversations for a long time with people that I usually are intimidated by. And And the first time that I came down off of meth was the most excruciatingly painful experience of my life up to that point. And I thought, then I never want to come down off of this. Instead of thinking that I didn't want to do it anymore, I thought, I'll just keep on doing that. I'll just keep going. Yeah. 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 So I, I mean, luckily for me, it was only from 16 years old to 18 years old that I was on a fast, the fast track to, to hell. And I got sober when I was 18 years old. And, and that was that for me. Wow. So 18 was when you got sober Yeah. and what tool did you use? Was it an intervention? Was it someone else telling you to get help? Was it you knowing uh, this isn't going well? I got to get out. If somebody else had said to me that I had a problem, I would have, I would have said a few words to them and moved on. Like there was (laughs) no way anybody else would have managed to get me to listen to anything. So luckily for me, I was literally on my knees screaming at the top of my lungs that I wanted to die. And there was a, you know, there was a story behind that, that, you know, at that point I was dealing at, I was dating a dealer. I had moved everyone that was a friend of mine out of the way. Like meth was the number one thing in my life. And it, and it, and it was fast and furious, like I said. So um, getting to the point of being on my knees was, you know, luckily for me, um, it didn't take much. (laughs) And so I didn't have to revisit that feeling for years and years and years. I really got it to the core of my bones that, that I wanted to no longer be here. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's what brought me to my knees. And then, and then I told my parents I needed help and checked myself into treatment. Nice. Nice. I mean, I can't even imagine at 18 having that, you know, transition. I feel like I don't want to say most, but a lot of the people I've talked to on the show so far comes much later. And so it's so interesting to hear someone that was kind of exposed to it and kind of had their journey start way earlier on. And so you went and did an inpatient treatment, correct? Yeah, I did. How did that go? Well, I think that because of that, I mean, there's certain things that got solidified in my mind so early on, like there's no question. I remember what they said to me. And one of the key things they said, well, there were many things that I still remember from that that period of being in treatment. But one of them was to see the story all the way to the end. 
because a lot of us manipulate ourselves. We're good liars. We can lie to, we can look people in the eyes and lie to them and, and they will believe us. And, and that's also what we do to ourselves. We, we're really good liars to ourselves. So we can talk ourselves back into doing stuff that we already know is a problem, but we'll like forget, completely forget. So I think one of the biggest gifts that I got in treatment, not only was it the 12 steps and, and learning from people who have gone before me, what worked for them, but, and also being in a structured environment and told where to go and when to go. But basically really, really getting it all that, like, I don't have to revisit. There's no reason for me to have a sip of anything because I know it's a doorway that leads to, I don't know where, and the potential for it to be really bad. I already have the evidence of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So playing it forward to the end, like yeah. you said, just playing that tape forward and knowing exactly where it's going to put us. And exactly. I don't know if you're like me, it's like, I didn't want to restart either. It's like, no, no, no I've worked no. too hard. <laughs> no, man, that was so excruciatingly painful. And honestly, I learned about drugs that I didn't take when I went to treatment and I was like, sure. oh, I missed out on, on ecstasy and heroin. <laughs> I mean, I just know myself and I know I'm all or nothing. Like I would literally, they say that your, your alcoholic behavior, like the disease or dis-ease, it's like hanging out, doing push-ups in the alleyway, waiting for you to mm-hmm. take the sip of whatever. So I know like if it's been 34 years and I take a sip of alcohol, I most likely will be dead. Yeah. Yeah. It's like riding a bike, right? At least- when I tried to moderate, that's exactly how it happened. It was like, oh, I'm I'm fine now. I've I've been sober for long enough. I could just be one of those cool, normal people that could have a glass of wine and just be done. But that's just not the case. <laughs> I I've heard that so many times, and I and it makes me emotional to be witness to so many people, like I said, who can manipulate themselves so easily because that's what we we're so good at it. Mm-hmm. We're, we're professionals at, right. at manipulating ourselves, not, you know, not just everyone else, but um, to watch people try to go out like the rest of those people out there. I, my, you know, they say in the big, big book, our hats go off to you. Like really when my friends have gone out to drink like everyone else and have wine at dinner, I've, I've said, you know what? I hope that works for you. Like, I really want you to win. I want mm-hmm. you to have the experience of life that you want. And unfortunately, I've never, ever seen it work for anyone that's gone back out to have a moderate or like norm, what they call normal mm-hmm. experience of drinking. Even if it's taken years and years, at some point, they can't not drive past the liquor store. Mm. Yeah, so true. So you get out of treatment. What was next? I actually went directly to the airport, got on a plane and went to Minneapolis from where I grew up. I was in San, San Diego. Okay. I, I went to a eight month um, halfway house. So I was living in a house with 13 to 18 year olds. I had then turned 19 in treatment. So I was the oldest person in the house, all in recovery, trying to figure out how to live in the world and be sober. So it was, it was a great opportunity for me to learn how to show up Um and do what I'm told to do. And if I do what I'm told to do, then there are like positive consequences. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, you know, I'm a rebellious teenager. Don't tell me what the fuck to do. Like, that's basically, you know, fuck this shit is my favorite phrase. So, you know, 
if anybody is telling me what to do, I don't want to, but there are consequences to that too. So I was really learning how to, what the consequences are to my own person when I do things that work and when I do things that don't, regardless, like take the drinking and drugging out of it, just like showing up in the world. Mm -hmm. That was a whole other thing I had to learn how to do. Yeah. And so were you attending meetings then outside of there? Yeah. I mean, there was counselors in the house. There were, it was a co-ed situation, which I don't recommend you sending a child. (laughs) (laughs) Side note. Yeah. (laughs) Note to self, don't send your child. Um, And so we went to meetings all the time. I mean, one of the things they say is put yourself into the middle of the boat, you know, Mm. and I have to say that surrounding myself with people in recovery and especially people that had more time than me and just seeing the what they say are the promises when you stay sober just seeing it in real life and not not understanding how in the world those people were so happy Hmm. and laughing a lot and connecting and look I mean like the whole thing looked like a surreal movie that Mm -hmm. I didn't understand so really it was like my whole life changed I mean I left where I I was using I left all my friends my family and was willing to go to any length to stay sober no matter fucking what Mm -hmm. I love that And I think it's hard too, like when you're, I don't know, newly sober is I feel like everyone that was further along in me, there was kind of that, um, I don't know, comparison, that jealousy, like, wait, when do I get there? Like when, when do I experience that? What did she used to say? I always, um, quote recovery happy hour that everything's in like technicolor, like it's just brighter and everything is more magical and it just looks easier. When does the work stop? And really it doesn't, but I think as time goes on, you just get better at it, you know, and your tools are, you know, you know, what works for you, you know, what doesn't work and it's just practice, you know? Yeah. Yeah, It's definitely not perfection. It's been more about uh, learning how to be with myself and not leave myself no matter what anybody else is doing or not doing like that that hit home early on when people were doing everything that they tell you to do in AA and they were still relapsing and people that I looked up to were relapsing. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. They told me that if you do X, Y, and Z that you'll have the promises, but these people are still relapsing. What's the deal? And, right. and so I learned really young that I had to make a decision that I was not going to drink no matter what was happening. Mm-hmm. And figure out what works for you. I for mean, sure making your own little grab bag of tools yeah. so that, you know, you were committed to what you wanted to do and not compare yourself to everything, you know, that's around you too. So I was comparing myself. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> oh, I know. Right. I say, you know, don't do that. You know, I'm sitting here comparing, you know, how yeah. wonderful you look on this zoom call and I've got my beanie and I'm in my closet. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> and I've got the zoom filter on. And so I- how do I do that? No. (laughs) Um, well, I love it. I love hearing these stories as I know you do, because everyone's story is just so different and so the same, and it's just such a gift to, to hear it. Um, so I want to know, I mean, I know a lot of ours, you know, when we put together our lists, a lot are similar, but big or small, what were some of the benefits that you started feeling once you removed alcohol? Um, well, coming down off the meth is something that I don't really want to experience again. And I can hardly describe the pain of that, but the darkness of that, Mm -hmm. um, 
I mean, it, now it's like my my life's work is to reach the person that has the experience of the darkness of that, whether it's meth or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because I I now know that there's hope on the other side of it because I've lived it. I've lived both. And so, I mean, the, I started to gather evidence of the miracles in my own life early on. And I think that that's been like, I just became curious about what the hell I was doing here. Why am I sober? What's the point of being here, sober or not? And so I started to look for like clues of what the hell. And so first things I noticed were things that maybe nobody else would notice would be like, I noticed that my shoulders that were usually up all the time because I was so uncomfortable were all of a sudden not up. Like I was Mm. more comfortable in a room of people and able to share without stuttering or without um, a crackling voice. Um, And, and I was watching other people go in and out relapsing and come back. And I was not experiencing adding crisis. I was dealing with life on life's terms and there were crisis and chaos and all that stuff, but I wasn't adding on top of it. And that was a thing that I needed. I mean, I felt like I needed to really pay very close attention to all those seemingly little things. And they, and that's actually, I still do that. I still gather evidence of the miracles in the everyday because they're happening all the time. And the fact that I can notice them is a miracle itself because I'm not so clouded by my own self-absorbed, whatever it is, drama, um, or the need to be talking about the drama to um, notice like right now the sun is coming out and the light is changing in the in the room and I can see it and I'm experiencing it and I'm experiencing a closer connection to my version of God you know like that I can't I can't tell you just being more comfortable in my own skin on deeper and deeper and deeper levels as I choose to stay has been one of the most extraordinary experiences of living because then I'm able to connect and have deeper experiences of love and not need people to love me in order to know that I'm worthy and valuable. Like what? what? I didn't expect half the things that have happened in my life. I didn't expect to feel the depth of love that I've been able to feel or the depth of pleasure and joy and laughter from the belly, like full body laughter. Like I just, I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. And I feel like it's always changing too. For sure always changing, always changing. Oh, well, I don't think you can really top those benefits that you just listed. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, those are just, that's a brand new life. It is a, I mean, I'm a totally different person than I was when I first got sober. And I, I I mean, I was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day for the first 10 years. Like I was really, really uncomfortable being here. And now I can't even imagine having a cigarette, but I mean, the, yeah, I mean, the level of comfort I have with, with myself and with life on life's terms and with you looking at me, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like being looked at, like I can look at myself now in a way that I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's almost, it's almost, you almost can't speak it with words, the, the difference that mm-hmm. I've been able to experience just by paying attention. Just like you're looking through different lenses almost sometimes things just, they look different and they feel different and things sound different. You can't explain it unless you do it and you experience it. I can't, I can't agree more. 
Um, okay. I'm looking at my notes <laughs> because I want to make sure I don't miss any good stuff. Um, you're an artist. You're an amazing artist. Is Thanks. that something that you discovered in sobriety or were you interested in art and producing art before you got sober? Well, thank you for the compliment. You're um, welcome. I got kicked out of high school for forging notes and I got sent Instead of going to the bad people's high school, <laughs> bad people <laughs> like me, I mean, it was like that. You know, like I was one of those misfits that could have gone to that high school down the street. And they, my mom said, oh, no, we're sending you to this other school where um, there are only seven people in my class. It was for people who needed a little bit more attention. Either they were super, super smart or super, super troubled. We were in the same room together. And um and I had one art class. And so I was on meth learning from this woman who saw that I had talent. And I'm so grateful. I feel like she was the first angel in my life who, mm. who knew I was using, didn't tell my parents, thank God, and, and just gave me something that my parents couldn't at that time, which was attention and, and to let me know that what I had was valuable. And so I could see that I had talent. This woman who I admired was telling me that, and I really enjoyed drawing and painting. So when I got sober, I honestly didn't know what else to do with myself. And my mom, I was just writing about this on Instagram. My mom actually suggested that I um, apply to art school after a year of being disgruntled. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I was 19 and like, what am I doing here? And she encouraged me to apply and I went to art school. And that's really where I learned how to express what was not easy for me to articulate verbally by taking what was happening in my life and turning it into something visual that nobody else needed to understand or know because I was still too uncomfortable and insecure. So I was learning about conceptual photography and, and I was alone a lot in my dorm room because I was sober and, and that was first for me was sober, not fitting in. So mm -hmm. I hung out in my dorm room and made art about myself with self-portraiture and the camera and, um, and couldn't talk about it in class, but it, it was the beginning of a lifelong career in, in turning triggers into treasures, basically. I teach it now. I, I am in love with, I'm still in love with the process of investigating psychology and relationship and why we're here and spirituality through this medium of art. It's, mm. it's really it's such a turn on. <laughs> like I said, it's still, it's still something that, um, that I'm really captivated and inspired by. And what say that again, it was triggers into treasures. Yeah. I actually teach a class about how to turn triggers into oh. treasures. And it's, that's actually more like when you're in relationship and you're triggered by something and then you lash out, like there's something else that's happening that we're missing. And, uh, and so I teach people how to, become aware of what's triggering them and transform it and heal their old wounds and have a deeper experience of relationship. And it's also the basis of a lot of the work that I do in my art. And mm. I mean, when I had 10 years of sobriety, I met Miguel Ruiz who wrote the four agreements and he actually was the first person that said the reason why, you know, 98% of the reason why you're suffering is because of what you're thinking. Mm. And I've said this before, like that really pissed me off. <laughs> because he clearly didn't understand my suffering. And let me tell you what happened. And let me tell you about my parents. And let me tell you, you know, yeah. all the things. And um, as I continue to be willing to listen to him and learn and do the practices he offered, I 
was willing to take responsibility for my part in my suffering. And it's since then, it's been over 20 years of really becoming more and more aware of what I'm thinking and how that lens that I'm looking through that you use, you use that term, term earlier, that lens mm -hmm. that we use, but how that lens is distorting everything and causing a lot of my suffering and crisis and leaking of energy and wasting of a lot of my life. Mm -hmm. So, um, being apprenticed to him, I think was one of the biggest gifts of my recovery and, and is the basis for a lot of the work that I do weaving the art and the Toltec practice together. Those two things have really been beyond anything I could have imagined just getting sober to get sober. <laughs> so good. Um, I have so much I could comment on that. You just said, <laughs> number one, I will include the information or uh, a link or a tag or whatever the technical term is, I will include the title of the book that you just said um, in the show notes because, oh my gosh, that's one book that I've read two times and it's, it, it's life-changing. I mean, you just, you read it and you just, it's one of those I felt like I just soaked up and I couldn't get enough of and was one that I felt confident I could recommend to anybody, you know, um, just easy to read, but powerful stuff. And yeah, it's, um, it's like simple, but very hard to practice. And yes. I feel like I had no idea that my life was about to change and that they were going to have a spot open in his office for me and that I was going to help him run his retreats and that I would be able to do advanced work with Miguel when I'm like in a group and one-on-one, -on -one, but like that my whole idea of what I thought this life was, was not what I thought it was. And, and it's humbling and it continues to be humbling to recognize my own addiction to my story and to suffering and like how we all are addicted to suffering to a certain extent. And I'm not mm -hmm. talking about what happens to us from out, outside, but how we interpret everything and how we sure. talk to ourselves about ourselves is just, it, it's painful to acknowledge and humbling. And also when we can get mastery over what we're thinking and, and thinking about ourselves and moving through the world with a different way of viewing everything, it's a game changer. Like you can hang out in the, in the energy of love all the time and you can even get triggered and not take that personally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can have more fun inside the dream that is this life we're in. And it, it's truly an extraordinary experience to continually remember that mm -hmm. this whole thing is, is about me waking up. Yeah. Sign me up. <laughs> Sign me up. Where do I buy that ticket? Um, <laughs> I would like to quickly go back to the art piece too. Um, not that I, I, I mean, I could sit here and talk about the four agreements for yeah. hours with you. Um, but I love how, I mean, I loved the phrase you use triggers into treasures. I also, um, I know you probably know, but that art itself was a huge tool for me when I got sober too. Yeah. I mean, just, I always say replacing that wine glass with a paintbrush. Yeah. And do you find that you've heard of a lot of people that kind of discover their creative self again in sobriety, like just that act of keeping their hands busy, finding something to fill that time period or that witching hour 
with an activity that, you know, distracts them. Absolutely. And, and now it's even easier with our phone. We can use it as a camera and record things so easily without having to go to school to learn f-stops and shutter speeds and all of that. Like we really have a tool we can use for transforming our perception in an instant and, and also shift our attention from what we're thinking, our antsy thoughts and that feeling of like, I'm going to go out of my mind to the present moment. That's what I think the creative practice does. It's like a portal to the now, and it's a portal to what somebody might call God. I would call it my version of God or mm-hmm. source energy. I think that the paintbrush, I mean, I think it, it leads us to what we're really craving. And we take a sip of alcohol to take that so-called edge off. And really we're just seeking the wholeness that is always there. It's mm-hmm. always there. We think it's outside of us, but it's really within us and we've forgotten that when we got here we forgot (laughs) and so it feels like the creative process is like a it's a bringing us back to ourselves kind of activity and and the thought that we're not talented and that we can't and that we're not artists and all of that is just another it's another lie that we use to keep us from experiencing more joy I mean who cares what anybody else says it's not really the point yeah well, and talk about such it's a therapeutic a process. No, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Um, you know, instead of going to the wine glass or the drug of choice or whatever it is that you're using to escape whatever you're feeling, I mean, you're pouring out your emotions. You're working with it, you know, and I've found some of the hardest points, you know, personally, a terrible, you know, thing or emotion or whatever you're going through, if I were to numb that out with wine or that was my choice, you know, it solves nothing, nothing, nothing will get fixed. Everything is still there. But if I pour that out into a painting, if I, you know, go for a run, if I'm in the garden working my hands in the soil, like that's, that's a process of releasing that and working through it and acknowledging, you know, what I'm feeling. So I don't know if you can relate to that. You really bring up such great points in that it's not just about the painting. It's really just about using the energy that's feeling so uncomfortable or deregulated and, and using it in a way that's, that leads to something more positive. I think that we have, all of us on the planet have a knee-jerk reaction to say what I said in the beginning, fuck this shit, and just like get <laughs> away from the feeling as, as fast as possible. So we know from our past that drinking will take that edge off or whatever it is that we use. It could be a bag of chips, but um, that seems in that moment of excruciatingly painful need to leave kind of feelings. Um, it seems like it's going to be the the savior and yet it leads to more suffering than the not. So, I mean, for many of us, we have to learn that over and over and over again until right. we, learn a new habit of redirection again and again and again until that new direction becomes just the normal. Mm-hmm. So, so true. So true. Oh my gosh. Okay. So were there any other new hobbies or accomplishments or things that were just big that you never thought would happen in your sobriety? Well, I mean, as a result of going to art school and, and doing Miguel's work and deciding to stay sober no matter fucking what. I did have the opportunity to have my work published on the cover of National Geographic magazine. And I I mean, that was like, I would have paid them money 
but they actually incredible. reached out to me. And that was, that was like a, that was a moment for sure. Um, and the other major <laughs> would be Max. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> My little dude, Max, who's no longer little, but just the experience of being a mom. I didn't, I didn't want to be a mom growing up. I didn't have like the vision of, I can't wait to get married and have kids. And then I did, you know, I did get married and I did have Max and I am now divorced and I did make it to the other side and I did, yeah. you know, but being a mom and learning about this unique individual who has Down syndrome and having the opportunity to let him show me and the world how really, it, what's really extraordinary about Max is that I think you and I and people like us know the pain of self-hatred pretty deep and of comparing and despairing and not knowing that we're valuable um feeling broken maybe to some mm -hmm. degree and my son doesn't feel that mm -hmm. he doesn't compare himself he doesn't feel different he doesn't judge himself he loves himself like full-on will tell you how great he is he will you know if you ask him if he's talented oh yeah if, he, if you ask him he's, if he's funny, if he's smart, if he's anything, he will just totally agree. No question. No, you know, there's no, he doesn't need to make himself believe it. And I think it's really such a gift to see someone like that over and over and over. Like I'm choosing to be hard on myself because why? Right. There's no reason. It's just a habit. Wow. What a gift. I what mean- a gift. We need to be more like Max. Yeah, we we all need to be like Max. <laughs> I want to be like Max. <laughs> I do too. He's having such a great experience of life. And and I'm here to like say, you know, I think I, I was given the gift of being his mom and to have the opportunity to sort of use my social media platform to advocate and say, not everybody that has Down syndrome is just the stereotype that you're thinking he is. And if we'd all do that for ourselves and each other. What an extraordinary place it would be if we all gave ourselves a minute to, you know, celebrate how incredible each of us on this planet really truly are mm -hmm. and how much more connected we would feel if we would put down the mask that we're wearing about what we think others might want to see in us or that we can't get approval if we don't pretend this certain game that we're playing of what we want you know all that yeah projection if we if we really face the stuff that we ate when we were younger that we thought was true that somebody said something about us and we believed it or they treated us a certain way and we thought it meant something and then we acted that, that out for the rest of our lives not even knowing that it had nothing to do with us like imagine what could be possible not just for ourselves but for the planet if we all really knew that we were love and that we, we were, we belonged without trying mm -hmm. and that we didn't have to prove anything to anyone, not even to ourselves, like miracles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so much again that I want to say, I joke that I need like my pencil and pad of paper in here so that I don't forget <laughs> what I want to comment on. I know, um, I know. I'm like, okay. So yes to everything. Um, one of the, the most amazing and just a compliment that I always kind of hold dear to my heart was from my sister that I got in sobriety. And she said something on the lines of, 
you just seem different. And she was like, and I don't want this to come out the wrong way. Like, how did she put it? She said something on the lines of, you know, I can tell now that you, you don't care what people think. Like, and it's not that you leave the door, leave the house, uh, you know, not put together, but you just have this different, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss of the words that she used, but it was something like, you just show up as you. And I see that confidence. And that's kind of what you were explaining that made me think of that. It's like, I feel like a lot of times in sobriety, it's always, you know, a work in progress, but it gives us the opportunity to be like, this is me. Like, there is nothing in me that is making me act a different way. And, you know, I love, 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 love the examples that you shared about Max, because I mean, you get that example in your house with you and what a gift that is to be reminded of how simple it can be. You know, we can, we can have confidence. We can love who we are and that's not being, you know, uh, conceited or anything. That's accepting that we are beautiful, unique individuals. Yeah. And you yeah, I think, I think that's such a great thing. What you pointed out that your sister said to you, because sometimes we don't see it in ourselves. The, it's like micro shifts into mm-hmm. this new way of feeling about ourselves. And then it has this radiance outward that people can see, but we don't we need that reflection back because we, totally. we what's going on in our minds might not necessarily be the same thing that people notice. Cause you know, we're using this habitual, you know, reel of commentary. Right. Um, and, and I think that we, we were taught to measure ourselves as good, bad, right, and wrong and to measure everything and everyone from this measuring, you know, this measuring system. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so when he gets dropped off or I'm with him for even an hour, <laughs> I'm just like, this dude is the best teacher ever, ever. <laughs> totally. And he's the most challenging too. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's also the biggest challenge I've had is, is mothering and also, you know, facing any sort of mother, um, you know, the expectation of what it means to be a mom um, mm-hmm. is infiltrated without my consent, you know what I mean? It's like, absolutely. all of a sudden you give birth to a child or you become a parent and, and guilt and shame are just like handed to you with that child. I don't know mm-hmm. what the deal is about that, but it's really been an extraordinary experience of unraveling that on top of it. We didn't order that add-on. We, no. did, we did not ask for that. No. <laughs> with a side of guilt and shame. No, oh, thank you. I'd like to return that. Um, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, and I have a confession. I totally was spy scrolling. Is there like a term for that? I was spying on your, um, your social media page before we hit record, because I was like, I mean, we're friends. We interact. I was like, I want to see some of this art that you've produced. And, um, I will add you again, all these new terms I'm learning as a podcast. I'll put (laughs) your, your Instagram handle in the show notes as well, because for anybody that's listening, I mean, A, your art is beautiful, but the one that just like, oh, got my mom heart was when you share the art pieces that you do with Max. And I mean, really any piece with Max. And I'm sure that is just such a beautiful experience to see not only the world through his eyes, but how he expresses himself on, on the canvas, on the paper. Yeah, you know, he he was one of the first teachers of mine in my um, 
how to use the camera as a tool for transformation because he wasn't napping when I first had him. He wasn't taking his nap and I was so frustrated day after day after day. And I thought, well, he's not going to change. So how can I? And, and I decided to take my phone, put it next to the bed. And when he would fall asleep, I would just take a picture of it just to have that moment of paying attention. Cause all I wanted to do was get out of the room and be by myself for five minutes and he wouldn't sleep. And when I took that first picture, I realized I had been missing everything because I had been in my head trying to leave. And he was showing me how beautiful our connection was and I was missing it. And it turned into a three-year project where I was with him, taking a picture, hanging out with him more because I was more present to noticing how he was falling asleep and putting his hand on, on me somewhere on my face, just putting his foot on my face or like he needed to be touching me. And I was watching over three years, like, as I documented him, his growth and like his clothes would get smaller and then, you know, his hair would get cut or all the, all the changes that he went through that I would have totally missed had I not recognized that the camera could be that, you know, extraordinarily, (laughs) um, I I'd say a spiritual tool for connection between me and my little dude. So it it turned into like a class and it, it, it helped me and many other people realize that we have a tool right in our pocket to shift our attention in any moment. Yep. Yep. And just that simple awareness, maybe not at the time, but to be able to look at it now, like, Oh, just that he had to touch mom. He had some sort of connection. And now he barely wants to hug me because he's 13 and he's way too, too cool for that. He's cool. (laughs) He's a cool guy. (laughs) (laughs) So it's nice to have it documented too. I mean, I feel really really grateful that he, that I have this documentation and that he allowed me to be his mom. Like he picked right. me, you know? Yeah. Thanks hey Max, me. look at this. See, we used to hug. You used yeah. to have your hand on me. This is, this is how it works. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I hate that we're kind of coming to the end, but I wanted to ask just a couple more questions. Okay. Um, looking forward, what will this new chapter of your life enable you to do? So what, looking ahead, what's, what's coming up? What's happening now? What's something amazing you want to share? Well, I'm moving into my 35th year of recovery. So it feels like every five or 10 years, there's a something that happens that brings me to my knees that opens a doorway for more growth. So um, this year I'm facing the discomfort of writing a book Um and I got stuck for a minute and now I'm saying it here now that I'm getting back to it and, um, and, and getting back to just teaching my classes again. I, I kind of stopped everything for a minute and getting back to my retreats in Paris, they're starting again and, and um, being more available to help more people in recovery. So that had not really been a focus of mine in the, in the many chapters. And now I'm really, really I feel really committed to um, saying out loud that that um, there is help and hope over here, and and that and to say that I'm an example of what's possible is very uncomfortable to say. And I feel like I was given a gift to to not drink no matter fucking what, and I'd love to offer people an opportunity to love themselves no matter fucking what. I feel like that's now become like my saying as I look back over my recovery like what is the thing what is the thing that happened Mm -hmm. well the thing that happened is that I 
I was uncomfortable and it didn't matter. Like my discomfort didn't get in the way of staying sober. And if I can help anyone in the next chapter to, to really, really know that they're worth not taking a drink and maybe turning their, you know, triggers into treasures, like I said earlier, I mean, if one person hears this podcast and decides to stay, <laughs> Mm -hmm. that's it that's it I'm done you know what I mean it's win. It feels, it feels it all like, worth it yeah it feels like we all have that and I, I'm so grateful that you and I are both in sober mom squad and that we get to just show up and hold space and remember like we're all in the same spot we are all human beings trying to figure out how to be more comfortable being here that's it mm -hmm. so yeah. I just feel lucky to to have the opportunity to pay closer attention right well, and if you're not comfortable saying it, I will say it for you. You are an example <laughs> and you are a gift because that is why I want you on this show today. That that's the whole point is to share our stories and to, to help people and to share our truth because we are good examples. You know, we are helping people. So I'm, I'm thrilled and honored that you are here. Thank you. Me too. Um, you're here too. Me too. This is fun. This is where I'm like, ah, uh, I don't know about this whole 45 minute mark. I, I kind of want to talk for another hour. The kids, kids do need to be picked up in about 30, but no. Um, all right. Whoops. I keep hitting things. So the last thing that I want to end with, which I always do, um, is just to the one person or many that is listening to this right now and feeling inspired to make a change. What advice can you give them? Oh my goodness. I mean, how do you wrap that up? Right. <laughs> just, just a few words. I'm sure. No, <laughs> well, I do feel, I, I mean, I do feel like not giving up no matter fucking what, like the, the, there is a, when I say this a lot to people when they're feeling uncomfortable and it's usually right before a major expansion and it feels endless and it feels like hell and it feels like darkness forever. And I'm here to say from my experience that when it's that dark, it's because you're getting ready for a major expansion and just to hang out, just wait, just hold on because there is something extraordinary. And if you could put your attention on becoming curious about what that could possibly be, I'm telling you, it will change your life. Mm -hmm. So true. So true. And I'll probably mess it up, but it's like that quote, when you feel like you're buried, what is it? You've I actually don't know, been, it's like, you've actually been planted. Oh, that's so good. You know, like you're about, you're about to bloom. You're about uh, to grow, like get ready for the growth. That is such, I want to write that down. That was so good. I love it. Thank well, you for that. how can people get a hold of you, my friend, if they want to check you out on Instagram, these classes, all these amazing things that you're doing, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? I'm a tad obsessed with Instagram at the moment. So hanging out over there, you can send me a private message too. If you want to connect with me, I'd be more than happy to chat with you, but I'm at C just on Instagram. And that'll lead you to all the things that I, that I offer to the classes, the retreats, the artwork that I sell, all of that stuff. Wonderful. Oh, well, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so, 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 so much for coming on the show. It was such a pleasure just to have you here and to hear your story. So thank oh my you. gosh, I feel really honored that you wanted me to be here with you. I feel like this is such a treat for me. Thank We're you. We're going to need a part two. Too, I was I thinking that. <laughs> so much. So. I would love it. 
<laughs> All right, Catherine. Well, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you next time. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, you can head over to decidedlydry.com. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support it is to subscribe and to leave an awesome rating or review over on Apple Podcasts. It's sure been a treat spending this time with you. And just remember, if the only thing you did today was stay sober, you are winning. I'll see you next time.